Good morning, His people. Welcome to our Good Friday online church service. And I also want to extend a welcome to those of you from around South Africa and around the world that may be listening to our online uh, service. I want to welcome you all, and we just really trust that the Lord will minister to you this morning. Uh, Won't you just close your eyes with me as we just commit this time to the Lord in prayer. So Lord Jesus, we just remember, Lord, that beautiful song we've just sang about how you've paid it all. Jesus, from the cross you cried, Tetelestai, it is finished, it is paid in full. And Jesus, we thank you that you are paid in full, Lord. And Lord, we celebrate, as Christians, we celebrate your victory at the cross. We celebrate your resurrection on Sunday morning, Lord. On the third day, you rose, Lord. And Lord, we celebrate that this weekend, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, to all the South Africans that are watching, I trust that you all saw and heard our president um, addressing the nation last night. And he announced that there's going to be a two-week extension to the lockdown. And we we really do feel that that is a wise decision, it's the right thing to do. Um, I I trust you saw the, the, the amazing statistics that show that before lockdown in South Africa, the daily growth or spread of the COVID-19 virus was, was sitting at 42%. At an, it was at an exponential rate. After lockdown in the last two weeks, the daily growth has only been 4%, down from 42%. So there's no doubt that our collective efforts um, and, and, and solidarity with the government's decision to stay at home is making a huge difference. So, well done. Uh, I know it's challenging, and, uh, but, but we really do believe it's, it's the right decision. And, and so, thank you for supporting um, the government uh, in this initiative. And, uh, but it's Easter Sunday. It's not Easter Sunday morning. Um, I'm talking about Good Friday. It's Good Friday. And this, this Friday morning, the word that the Lord has given me has, has, and I've entitled it, and I've got it on the slides over here, on my slides, I've entitled it, The Extravagant Father from Luke 15. And, and this story from Luke 15, it really so encapsulates, firstly, the heart of our wonderful Father in Heaven, but it, it reveals the heart of our Jesus as well. And it reveals what he did at the cross just so beautifully. And so um, what I've done with my slides this morning is I've literally taken the text from Luke 15, not all the verses, but particularly the verses about the prodigal son story. And we're going to look at that, put it on the screen, and I'm just going to be talking off the scripture, just just reflecting off the verses of Scripture and sharing them with you. And I trust that the Holy Spirit would just, for all of us, as we look at Scripture, just break open the Scripture for us. We would see the depths of meaning and revelation that, that Jesus was bringing through such a simple story that many of us have heard. And, and, and I want to just, just uh, trust the Lord to bring it forth this morning. So, let us start. And... Um, the, I'm starting just with, with a little explanation as to why I'm entitling this message, 
the, the extravagant father and not the story of the prodigal son. It's known as the prodigal son and it is, it's, there's validity to that term. But I'm saying that, and, and firstly I just want to say that my inspiration uh, for, for this message has come largely from this book by uh, Postum Keller, uh, and the book is called The Prodigal God, a really great book, I encourage you to get it if, if you can. And anyway, he highlights in the book that the word prodigal does not mean wayward, as we would think, because the younger son was definitely wayward. But according to the Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, this word prodigal means recklessly spendthrift. It means to spend until you have nothing left to spend. So that word is definitely applied to the prodigal son. He took his entire inheritance and he blew it on the proverbial wine, woman and song. And so, yes, was he recklessly spendthrift? Absolutely. But I've actually entitled this, this, this message, The Extravagant Father. And Tim Keller called his book, The Prodigal God. Because God is recklessly spendthrift in his reckless love, his amazing grace, that he extends not just to the younger brother, but to the older brother as well. And we're going to look at this. And so come with me on this journey. As we look at this extravagant father, this prodigal God. And so we're kicking off, and the first verses I'm putting on the screen here are taken from Luke 15, verse 1 to 2. And, and uh, the, the passion I'm quoting and, and going to be putting on the screen, the text for scripture we're using is from the Passion Bible, and uh, throughout I'm using the Passion Bible. But it says from verse 1, it says, Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners often gathered around to listen as Jesus taught the people. Verse 2 says, This raised concerns with the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. So, understand the context here. Jesus gives us the context. And, and, and we see, well, Luke's writing the context, okay? And Luke is giving the context in which Jesus actually brought the, these stories. And, and in Luke 15, there are actually three different stories. There's the first, he tells the story about the lost sheep. And the shepherd that leaves the 99 to go look for the lost sheep. And there's a great celebration when he finds the lost sheep. Then there's the story of the lost coin, about the lady who loses the coin. She searches everywhere, and there's great celebration when she finds the coin. Then we have the story, and it's very often told of the lost son. But it's not actually just one lost son. It's the story of two lost sons. And if you say lost son, hmm, it's actually interesting to see at the end of the story who's actually the lost son. But, but we'll get into the story. And so the issue is that there were many dishonest tax collectors and notorious sinners gathered, okay? You hear that? You know the story of the prodigal son? You're like, okay, those, those guys would fit the bill over there. But then, this raised the concern of the Jewish religious leaders and experts of the law. And when you actually read the story, you say, but this, the older brother is actually this lot. And Jesus is actually talking to the guys in verse 2, and he's actually answering and speaking to them about all their concerns they have 
that about the guys mentioned in verse 1, these notorious sinners and dishonest tax collectors that, that were often hanging around Jesus. And so in the story of the extravagant father, Jesus is actually addressing these dudes and their issues with these dudes. And so let's, let's just look at it. And so we, we carry on verse 2 to 3, it says, Indignant, this is, this is the heart of the religious leaders. Indignant, they grumbled and complained, saying, Look at how this man, speaking by Jesus, associates with all these notorious sinners and welcomes them all to, to come to him. In response, Jesus gave them this illustration. So Jesus is actually speaking to the religious leaders about their heart and their attitude towards the notorious sinners and how he would welcome them to him. When we understand the story and you understand this introduction, you're like, wow, Jesus, you were actually talking and explaining to them your heart regarding the various people that were around you, the people that you ministered to, and it makes so much sense when you just understand the introduction over here. So let's go on. So we're kicking off. So here is actually the story of the prodigal son or the extravagant father. Starts in verse 11. I'm going to read through and I'll pick up various points. Then Jesus said, Once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me. So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons the inheritance. Now I want to just pick up and explain to you the context in Middle Eastern culture, the story that Jesus was telling. Firstly, the, 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 the practice was for the older son to get a double portion of the inheritance. So there were two sons. So the older son would get two-thirds of the father's inheritance and the younger son would get one-third. Now, in those days, the, 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 the wealth wasn't stored in a bank account that the father could easily go and just withdraw one-third of all his money and give it to the young, younger son. Practically, what would have to happen, it says over here, it speaks about, use the word estate in the Passion Bible, most of his property would have actually, most of his wealth would have been tied up in property. Property and possessions, animals, uh, and, and etc. And so for him to actually give his youngest son one third of the inheritance, he would have had to go and sell one third of his lands, one third of his animals. And the whole community would have known that this was happening. But more than that, it was unheard of for a son to get inheritance before his father died. Because that is when the inheritance, inheritance was passed on. After the father died, the inheritance was, the land was sold and given to, given to the two sons in this case. What is happening here, he's getting inheritance before his father, before his father dies. And this would have been such an embarrassment in that community. And remember, how did the community work? They stayed in villages, villages for safety, and they had lands, communal, well, they had their lands, their own lands, around the village that they would work. And so, in this village, wherever they were staying, the whole village would, would know that this youngest son is now wanting the inheritance. 
And it, the father couldn't keep it secret. He, because he would have to go and say, guys, I'm selling one third of my land. Who wants to buy it? My son wants it. Okay? And so there would, have, there would have come a lot of embarrassment and shame on the family. And there's no doubt that the older son would have, would have, would have, would have been seriously, seriously. And, and, I, and I actually think that's where his umbrage came, was, was this embarrassment that came on the family with the, with the younger son wanting inheritance. And so the father does it. It says here, father went ahead and distributed it among the two sons the inheritance. And it goes on to say in verse 13, Shortly afterwards, the younger son packed up all his belongings and travelled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far-off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. In a binge of extravagant and reckless living. Now remember, Jesus is talking to a bunch of Jewish religious leaders who have big issues with these kind of people hanging around Jesus. And they probably would have sort of nodded their heads and said, we know what you're talking about, Jesus. This is what these guys do. <laughs> you know, they binge uh, and ha have extra extravagant and reckless lives. And this is what the younger son did. And it goes on to say, let's go on in the story, in verse 14 to 15. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry, the younger son now. For there was a severe famine in the land, so he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. In the next verse, verse 16, it says, The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing, and he thought, and we'll go on to what he thought in the next slide, but I wanted to just highlight, it, highlight this point. The son finally realized what he was doing. Folks, that point, that point where you finally, uh, in, in the NIV, the New Living, I want you to go check it out, it actually says, when he came to his senses. That moment, when you come to your senses, you realize, oh my goodness, I have messed up. What have I done? And it is this moment that he, you'll, we will see, that he, he makes the decision to turn around from the direction he was going and go back home. So the Bible word is repentance. At this moment, repentance happened. Walking the, the, the however many kilometers or miles back home, that was the outworking of this moment when he finally realized what he was doing when he came to his senses. That is a precious holy moment. Folks, for all of us, there are times in life, sometimes, I don't know where you are, what you do, you could be driving along and suddenly you just realize, wow, I've got to turn around, I've got to go back home. That moment is so significant, it's such a significant moment in God. This, this is life-changing, and, and it literally changes this boy's life. And, and, and I don't know where you are, and I don't know how far you are from God, but I pray that you won't have to go through this kind of stuff for us to come there. We don't have to. Remember years ago somebody said, you can learn from your own mistakes, or you can learn from other people's mistakes. Hey folks, let's learn from this boy's mistakes. Let's just go back home. Wherever you are, let's turn. Let's just... Go back home, okay? 
And so, what did he think? This is what he thought. He thought, there are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here, dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? goes on to say in verse 18, I want to go back home to my father's house. And I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. Just one or two things I want to mention about this verse. He realizes that he sinned against you, he said, against the Father. And that's such an important, important thing. You know, there are many people who experience the consequences of bad decisions and and it they're feeling the pain and they'll make a decision to turn back to their father in heaven. But he realized that really what had done, yes he'd experienced pain and consequences. But his repentance was really he realized that he'd hurt his father. And that's so important to realise. That's that's true rep- repentance. When we when we honestly repent to the Father, not just because of the pain we've experienced, because of our bad decisions, but when we realize that this is against our Father, our Heavenly Father. And He says, I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. It's very interesting. In uh, one or two of the other translations, it speaks about your hired servants. It actually speaks about servants and hired servants. And if you go in the original Greek and you understand the culture, what was he talking about here? You see, the father was a wealthy landowner. And the father had many servants, we see from the story. But there were some servants that were permanently employed by the father. And then there were hired servants. And they were different. These would be like your seasonal workers. Or people you would hire just to come and do a specific job. And then you would leave. But you weren't permanently employed. By, by the Father in this case. And he wasn't actually saying, I want a permanent job. He's saying, yeah, this, uh, one of your employees, he said, if I could just be a temporary worker, one of your seasonal workers, just come and work on the farm with you, that position, I'd love that position. And, and, and you can see, he's just, he's, he's saying, I'll just, I'll just come in as low as possible. Um, the thought, the thought, uh, he says, I'll never be worthy to be called your son. That, that phrase is just, is just so heartbreaking. Um, and, and we'll pick it up and we'll see how the father responds. So let's go on to the next slide. And it says in verse 20, So the young son set off for home. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming. We don't know how many years he was away, but one thing we know is that the father was yearning for the return of his son. The Bible says, Jesus said, from a long distance away, his father saw him coming. To see something from a long distance away, you need to be looking in that direction with an expectation, with an anticipation, with an intentionality to see something coming down that road. We can see the father's yearning for the return of his son. And folks, this is the heart of our extravagant father. He's yearning. He's looking down the road. He's looking. Is he coming? Is she coming? When is she going to come? His expectation. He's looking to see you come. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming. Dressed as a beggar, 
and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son, who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. Now two things about this picture. This picture of this father racing out to meet him. Firstly, folks, they stayed in the village. The whole village would have seen the father racing down the street in the village, out of town, down the, down the dusty road, to this, this, this beggar, that's how he was dressed, come hobbling along down, down the dusty road to, to the village. That picture is quite mind-blowing. The whole village is now looking like, what is going on here? And why do I say that? Because this, was, this father in the story is depicted as a wealthy Middle Eastern landowner, an elderly wealthy landowner. In that culture, an elderly wealthy landowner didn't run down the street extravagantly, enthusiastically. That was just not done. It was not dignified. Children may run, and maybe the servants would run, but a landowner, a dignified elderly landowner, didn't do that. And can you just see, that's why I call this the extravagant father. Can you see how extravagant he is? He, he picks up his, his, his robe, and he beetles down the street to go to his son that's dressed as a beggar, smelling of pig slop, and, and you name it. And this is the heart of the extravagant father. That picture, this picture, it's such an enduring picture of the father running to embrace a son or daughter who's coming back home. Folks, this is the embrace we get from the father. When we come back home, when we turn, when we repent, when we come to our senses and we say, God, Father, I'm coming back home. This is the response. This is the picture. He doesn't care what other people think. He doesn't care who's looking. He runs down the street and he runs and look at how he, how he greets his son. It's just, it's just incredible. This extravagant father. It says he swept him up in his arms. He hugged him dearly. And he kissed him over and over with tender love. What an extravagant father. Then the son said, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. Folks, this picture of the father running, this old, old, dignified gentleman running down the street, grabbing him in his arms and kissing him all over with tender love. What a picture of, the, of an extravagant father. Folks, this is the father. Many, many Bible scholars believe that one of the biggest revelations Jesus brought is of what Father God is really like. What a picture of what Father God is like. That is how he welcomes each one of us home when we come home to him. What the younger, younger son said is, is really so sad. He says, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. That's beautiful. It's sincere and heartfelt repentance. It's beautiful. You know, many people say, yeah, but the Father, it's, it's, it's just totally unconditional. I see in this, that the Father is responding to heartfelt repentance in this boy's life. And so, and, and, and this, this response of the Father, our Father God sees those moments when we come to our senses and we turn back to Him. When we come back to Him in those moments, He willingly receives us. What is quite mind-blowing is how 
the father released the son to go with his inheritance, however many years before this. That is just, it's incredible. The, the, the power of, of free choice that the father gives us. But look at what, what the power of free choice does when we turn to the father. It just unlocks the most beautiful picture of what our father is truly like. He said, I could never deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. I could never deserve to be called your son. Those words are just so sad that he thinks he will never be able to be restored as a son. Now, do you think, and remember, he's talking to Jewish religious leaders over here. Some Bibles translate it as the Pharisees. And many of them probably nodded approvingly at this kind of response that Jesus was giving. But, look at what happens. The father cuts him off. He can't even finish. And he probably rehearsed this little, this little speech of repentance and just wanting to ask forgiveness. father cuts him off. He, he says enough, his father has heard true and sincere repentance. And the father's response is, the father interrupted him and said, Son, you're home now. Turning to his servants, the father said, Quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I will place it on his shoulders. I just love the Passion Bible here, because most other translations just say, Bring me the best robe. But which would be the best robe in this house? It's the father's robe. It's, it's kind of, that is exactly what the father is saying. He said, Bring me my robe. I mean, I was thinking my context it would be like, Asking, go and get my smartest jacket and uh, very uh, whatever that is, my smartest jacket, and bring it and put it on my son. And I will place it on his shoulders. Look what the father goes on to say. He says, Bring the ring, the seal of sonship, and I will put it on his finger. But this is what the father is doing by putting his own robe on his son, by, by, by giving him a ring. This ring was a family ring. Very often it had the family crest on, etc. This was the ring of sonship. He's restoring him to the full status of sonship again. It's just incredible. And I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes you can find for my son. Probably the dad's shoes as well. And let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. This father is extravagant. This father is our true prodigal. He's just going over the top. Look to what it says in verse 24. For this beloved son of mine who was once dead, but now is alive again. Once he was lost, but now he is found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Wow, what a party. There's music. There's celebration. And I'm sure the whole town was invited. There's a, it, was, it was just over the top extravagant father throwing an extravagant party for his son, restoring his son to sonship. But what happens? Here we see the older son. Now, now you can imagine this whole story about the father restoring the son, the younger son. I'm not sure the religious leaders would have been that happy with it. And so Jesus carries on the story and he tells the story now about the older son. This is 
This is Act 2. Act 1 is about the youngest son. Act 2 is about the oldest son. Jesus carries on here. Now the oldest son was out working in the field when his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of the servants and asked, What's going on? Verse 27. The servant replied, It's your younger brother. He's returned home. And your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. Oh goodness, we have a problem here. Please, can we be patient? (laughs) What is going on here? Let's just look at it. goes on, and uh, until verse 32, we hear and we see the heart of this older son. So his father came out and pleaded with him, Come and enjoy the feast with us! Exclamation mark. The son said, Father, listen. There's an exclamation right back. Look at this attitude with which the son is speaking to his father. How many years have I been working like a slave? He used the word slave over there for you. Performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son. Now, right here, the Pharisees are probably saying, oh, I, I, I agree, I agree, this is, this, this is right. But notice the word that the older brother uses to describe how he's actually served his father. He says, working like a slave for you. You see, this, this son didn't serve his father out of love and out of, a, out of a heart of delight. It was, it was a sense of duty. How does a slave in those days, you know, a slave in those days had to obey the master? This son had a slave's mentality or a servant mentality. He was doing it because he had to. There was no delight in what he did. And, and it goes on to say, let's just, let's just look at this. And I've never once disobeyed you. But you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing now. Verse 30. But look at the son of yours. Another exclamation mark. Look at the arrogance with which he's speaking to his father. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. I can imagine the son, the oldest son, maybe banging the table at that point. Another exclamation mark. Three exclamation marks in these few verses. Jesus is describing how he's responding. The reality is, the Pharisees are probably like, absolutely, for sure, they agree wholeheartedly with this older brother. And you know, the reality is, if you've been a Christian for more than a few months, the propensity is probably to, to be able to identify with the older brother more than the younger brother. The, the, the propensity in our heart to, to firstly just become quite 
self-righteous. And that's really what this, this older brother is. He's, he's become self-righteous. He's feeling that he has some rights because of how he served the Father. And he's, he, he, he's got no concept of sonship. He's actually saying, because I've served you this way, therefore I can talk to you this way, and therefore I can get so arrogant and upset at the younger brother. I want you just to, to, to think about this though. The older brother was due two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger brother had already taken one-third of the inheritance. Now the father is restoring this younger brother to sonship. Being restored to sonship means being restored to the place of inheritance as well. Do you realize the implication here? Which I think the older son realized. That means that this younger son now will again be able to get a third of the two-thirds that is left. A third of his two-thirds. I'm sure that was behind him. You know, the interesting thing is that these brothers seem to be very different. The one is just one woman in song, doesn't want to work, doesn't. The other one has been working and slaving out of a sense of duty and, and, and no delight at all. But both of these sons actually want the father's inheritance. Both of them don't have the heart of the father. Both of them are very far from the father. And, and I was actually just thinking that I think with an older brother like this, I could possibly understand why the younger brother would want to take his stuff and leave. Get out of there. With an older brother like this, he probably didn't want to hang around in any case. But the point is that the older brother also wanted and was, was doing all this work for inheritance. Both of these sons were wanting to get stuff from their father. The approach to it was very different. The one was, give it, I'm out of here. The other one is, I'm going to work for it, but I'm going to get it. But none of them had a heart and understood the heart for the father, understood the love of their father and had relationship with the father. Both of them were very far from the father. Another um, little story that, that, I, that, I, that I read, Elizabeth Elliot tells the story of uh, these disciples, and the story is told that uh, Jesus comes to this group of disciples early one morning, and he and he tells these disciples, he says, he says, I want you to come on a journey with me. But before you come, I want each one of you to pick up a stone and come with me. And so they each pick up a stone. The one, the one, the one guy thinks, hmm, I don't know how far this journey is. Jesus didn't say how big the stone must be, and so he picks up a small little stone and it's easy to carry, and he, off he goes. Some of the other guys have got some big stones, and he's looking at them, and he's kind of thinking, hmm, they're not very clever, are they? Anyway, they're going with Jesus, and Jesus takes them on a hike up this mountain. Man, it's a long hike, it's a heavy hike, and they get to the top. When they get there, Jesus says, okay, boys, come, put your stones down, put these stones down. And Jesus prays, and he turns all the stones into bread. The boys are hungry. The guys who have carried big stones are delighted. They take their big loaf of bread and, man, they're so happy. The guy who brought the small stone, he's now kind of 
kind of a bit regretful about this, and he has his one or two bites of bread. He's still very hungry. And he's thinking, man, oh man, I made a mistake right there. Anyway, they have their lunch. Jesus says, okay, we're carrying on down the mountain, down the other side of the mountain. Pick up another stone. So now, the clever Charlie who, who got the small stone decides, okay, I know how this works, okay? I'm going to get a big stone. I'm hungry. I hardly ha- had any lunch. And he grabs a really big stone. Anyway, now they go to go down the mountain. And he's taking strain with his big stone. They get to the bottom of the mountain. There's a river. And Jesus says to the disciples, Thank you. Well done. Thank you for carrying those stones for me. You can now throw your stones into the river. And they throw the stones into the river. And this guy, the clever Charlie, is so disappointed because he carried this huge big rock and he didn't get anything for himself out of it. And the point of the story, Elizabeth Elliot made this point. She said, so many people will want to serve the Lord, but only because of what they can get out of it. You see, the clever Charlie on top of the mountain thought, well, I'm going to get a lot of bread. When he brought, brought the stone to the bottom and he didn't get bread, he was disappointed. But shouldn't our greatest delight be in just obeying the Lord and not worrying about the consequences, the personal cost to us, or the benefit to us? And folks, I believe there's blessing in serving God. I believe in the blessing of God. It's a reality. But if we are only doing things, we're only obeying God because of what we can get from it, man, oh man, we're going to be disappointed. Surely the greatest delight is hearing the Lord saying, well done, good and faithful servant. Surely getting to the bottom of the mountain, the Lord saying, thank you very much for carrying that stone, should be enough. Because our lives, we are living to please the Lord, to honor Him. And if He says do something, we do it. We don't ask why, when, and what is my benefit. The reality is these two sons were both trying to get their hands on inheritance. They were doing, the oldest son in particular, he was serving all those years to get the inheritance. He was no different from the younger son. And, and Jesus reveals, he's actually revealing to these Pharisees, you guys are not any different from those one woman and song guys that you are so harshly judging and criticizing. Look at the heart of this, this elder brother. He's critical, he's judgmental, he's angry at exactly what the Pharisees were, were, were towards him, uh, towards the, 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 the sinners. And so, let's just look on what the Father says, verse 31 and 32. It says, The father said, My son, you are always with me, by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. It's only right to celebrate this and be overjoyed because the brother of yours was once dead and gone, but now he is alive and back with us again. He was lost, but now he is found. This is the end of our story, the end of verse 32, is the end of our story. Jesus finishes the story, basically where the father is speaking to the older son, and the father is celebrating that the younger son is found, his words, he, he says here, he was, he's alive, he's with us again, he was lost, but he's now found. At the end of the story, Look at how the Pharisees must have been, my goodness, the story turned. It started off good about a sinner who lost it all. But then he kind of came back. But then the older brother, he, he was absolutely in his, in the, uh, doing the right thing the way he responded. 
how could this happen? That at the end of the story, this young brother, the younger brother, the sinner, is restored to the father, and actually at the end of the day, the older brother is alienated from the father. It's like the whole story has twisted around. It's the classic story of, of where kind of, you know, the bad guy becomes the good guy, and now the, the good guy is actually the bad guy, kind of a story. But we know actually that it's not good and bad, that both of their hearts were far from the father. But the younger son came to his senses and turned and came back to the father, and the older brother never came to his senses. There's no indication there was any repentance, any coming of it to his senses of the older brother. And I want to take this story a little bit back. I said this story starts in the beginning of Luke 15, where Jesus highlights, and he's actually addressing these Jewish religious leaders and their attitude towards the sinners. And then Jesus told the story about the lost sheep and the lost coin. The interesting thing about those two stories, both of them speak about something that's lost, and someone who goes searching for that which was lost and finds it in their celebration. But in the story of the prodigal son or the extravagant father or the lost two sons, this story is different because nobody goes searching for that which was lost. You know who should have gone searching for the younger son? You know, remember the story of Cain and Abel? The Lord actually said, you are my brother's keeper. Do you know who should have gone searching for the younger brother? Was the older brother. He never did. But, right there, and Tim Keller makes this point so beautifully in his book, The Prodigal God. Who is the one who seeks and saves that which is lost? The true, honest, older brother is Jesus. Jesus is the one who actually left his father. He left just the, the, the glories of heaven, came to a sin-wracked world to look for the lost son, the younger one, and the older one. Jesus is searching. He's actually in the story reaching out. He's reaching out to the older brothers of this world. Those of us who think because We've been serving God for so many years. Therefore, we're cool, we're okay, we're good with God, but actually our hearts are far from God. Jesus is the one. He's the true, perfect older brother who goes to the foreign land and will go and look for the lost son, the lost daughter. He goes and looks for the lost older son and the older daughter. It doesn't matter which category you may fall in, and some of us are in bit of both. Because you've been good, but man, there's some stuff that has not been good either. And it doesn't matter. Jesus is the one who seeks and saves the lost. And that is the story of Easter. That is the story of the cross. The extravagant father has a radical extravagant son called Jesus. And Jesus went to the cross and radically and extravagantly and in a prodigal fashion in the true sense of the word recklessly gave it all, his whole life, to pay the price that we can be recon reconciled. You see, there was a price to be paid for the younger son to be restored. It was 
some of the inheritance of the older brother, and he was resentful about getting it. But Jesus was not resentful at all. He didn't just give part of his inheritance. He gave it all, his whole life. He sacrificed it all so that the younger brother and the older brother can be restored to the father. And that is the beautiful story of the gospel. That is the story of Easter. That's the story of an extravagant father who has an extravagant son called Jesus who seeks and saves that which is lost. And ultimately there's going to be a party in heaven. We're going to celebrate one day this incredible story of reconciliation of Jesus, the one who seeks and saves that which is lost. And so this Easter I want to pray with everybody who's listening to this. You may identify with the younger son or the older son. It doesn't matter. Jesus reaches out to one and all. And I want to pray with you. And I want to pray that you would just open your heart and respond to Jesus this Easter Sunday morning. And just surrender your life to Jesus. And, and open your heart to the extravagant Father. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this amazing story. The story revealing the heart of your Father. The story revealing how, Lord, you have a heart for the younger brother and absolutely for the older brother as well. But Lord, may we be, may we come to our senses. Holy Spirit, I pray you do a work in our hearts. If we would come to our senses, whether we were a younger brother or an older brother, we would come to our senses. We would turn, we would come to you. So Lord, right now we come to you. Say, Jesus, we surrender our heart to you. We come and Lord Jesus, I ask that you would restore us in full sonship. Lord, we ask you forgive us for going our own way. Lord, forgive us for going to foreign lands and, and just squandering everything you've given us. Forgive us, Lord. But Lord, I pray for every one of us who are coming back to you right now. Lord, would you put on your robes of righteousness, Lord, the Father's robes. Would you put on the ring restoring us to sonship and daughterhood, Lord? Would you put on the Father's shoes? Restore us, Lord, to the place of sonship that you intended for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you, folks. Thank you so much for, for attending His People Church online. Uh, I want to encourage you to, to share, this, share this link, share this message with anybody that you think would find it helpful. And I want to encourage you, we'll be having a service on Easter Sunday, Resurrection.